Welcome to Footnotes of History, the podcast that is much more than just an illegal assembly of ne'er-do-wells. With you, as always, are myself, Tim Philpott, and our local disturber of the peace, <laughs> Daniel Nesbitt. Uh, hello, Tim. Unproven, I should add to the listeners, that's never proven. Absolutely. Yeah. How, are you, how are you doing today, Dan? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Are you excited about today's episode? Very excited, very excited to hear, hear the dark side of the man yeah, absolutely. I so admire. Yes, yeah, so, so, yeah, we, we should, yeah, we should... So, so the subject of today's episode is uh, Royal Appeal for the second time, a reprise, and um, covering three elements that I see as, uh, you know, I personally see as the dark side of Appeal, which others might see uh, the other side. Uh, I have it's my re- in this room. <laughs> indeed, yeah. I have my reasons for this, and I will, I will explain them. So what we're going to cover are the Metropolitan Police Act in 1829, uh, the Income Tax uh, uh, Act in 1842, um, and... Um, a more general look at the coercion bills which came in pretty frequently throughout the period of Peel's either being in office or a prime minister and also also while he was out of office. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of uh, almost a side effect of that, uh, the British relationship with Ireland at the time. Yeah. We talked about Peel in our last episode. Yeah. I think it made, to get an introduction of the man himself, probably start with that episode. It goes through three of Tim's more favoured Peel Peel. Um, Legislation and yeah, tax, doesn't it? Well, I thought that was I thought it was a much more positive case to be made there as well. Mm. It, was, it was it was called Truth, Freedom, and Prosperity. It's footnoteshistory.com/slash twenty, uh, episode twenty, and it looked at the um, return to the gold standard, uh, free uh, Catholic emancipation, and uh, the repeal of the Corn Laws. Mm. Um, whereas this is uh, this is going to be footnoteshistory.com/slash twenty one. We're going to we're going to look at those three things I mentioned earlier, and we also have a new website. Uh, which has just been released, so you can go and have a look at footnoteshistory.com, obviously, and you'll find the new ep- new episode up there, uh, along with all uh, the last previous five episodes for you to uh, have a look at. And if you're ever looking for an episode, footnoteshistory.com slash, and then enter the number of the episode, and you'll be straight there. There you go. Um, we should probably probably also mention that you can join our email list at footnoteshistory.com slash join, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. Fancy email list. Yeah. You'll get all sorts of interesting blogs, reviews, yeah. um, just general thoughts, pointless which rants, some people yeah. find interesting. Yeah, Tim occasionally gets really angry and sends yeah. a <laughs> shotgun blast of an email that terrorises our re- re- readership. So look out yeah. for those. Indeed, um, yeah. Some hapless Twitter follower gets yeah. eviscerated. Anyway, yeah, so should we move on to the episode? Um, I think it's probably about time. Yes, we've got at least five minutes on this already. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we're talking about, we're talking about, so we're moving from, I mean, obviously, the Metropolitan Police Act is 1829, mm-hmm. income tax is, 18, is, the 1840, is 1842. So, we're talking about that kind of period, 1820s, 1830s, 1840s. What, what's sort of happening? I mean, we should give some context to what's kind of going on. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's one of those kind of I said like a world in flux almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we were I mean, I think Wood. Uh, sorry, uh, Woodward, um, the historian um, Woodward. Uh, Woodward. He calls it the Age of Reform, mm. which is like probably the most boring name ever. Yeah. It kind of belies the fact that actually it's, it's more like it's all like more like the Age of Revolution and Reform because yeah. you've got all this stuff going on. You've got the Industrial Revolution going on. Yeah. As you said in the last episode, Peel and sort of his contemporaries are. Kind of trying to keep up with the industrial revolution, the changes it's bringing in Britain, uh, yeah. and that's reflected in the legislation they're putting through. Obviously, in the middle of this period, in 1830, we've got a revolution in France, mm. an actual revolution, not just an industrial yeah. one. Charles so, X gets overthrown, he does get kicked out, yeah, um, for being a, being too royalist, basically. Yeah. Um, which is, which is a bit thought in a king, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a Mass, massive urbanization as well, by yeah. the way, which is kind of bringing driven by the problems. industrial revolution, yeah, exactly. And something yeah. we'll touch on, particularly in the metropolitan police section, yeah. So yeah, bear that in mind. Kind of, it's uh, it's probably one of the biggest times of change that the, mm. the country. 
Britain itself and also the world has seen. So yeah. that's kind of the backdrop of it. Yeah. And you're going to start with Metropolitan Police. Yeah. Should we give I, a little bit of background on what policing was like before? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to just quickly mention that in 1833, obviously, there was the Great Reform Act, which yeah. is, again, quite a significant change. Uh, well, a significant change. It's not votes for everyone. But the votes are selected for you. Yeah, exactly. More, more votes. Yeah, <laughs> at the very least. Um, so politicians are becoming a bit more aware of their constituents' concerns. I think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yes, the Metropolitan Police. So Metropolitan Police Act came in eighteen twenty nine, and established police force for London, although excluding uh, the city of London, yeah. which is kind of a kind of classic, mm-hmm. um, due to its own special circumstances. Okay. So what? So. Uh, can you, can you tell us a bit about what, what the situation was before the Metropolitan Police then? Yeah, so it was an interesting one. So um, in London, there was a sort of a mishmash of different uh, law-keeping bodies. Yeah. So you had a body called the Marine Police, which were there to look at the docks, and they were yeah. there to look after the docks exclusively. But also within each borough and parish area, you had sort of a different approach. So you had um, parish constables and night watchmen, which were funded yeah. by local individuals through mm. parish councils and through local subscription bodies yeah. um, and they kind of kept the, the peace or like they looked out for their own individual areas anyway, yeah. I think it, it sort of brought about some interesting comparisons and differences between the different areas so for example St Pancras around the time of the Metropolitan Policing Act came through had 18 different policing establishments which all kind of jealously guarded their own jurisdictions and made a lot of confusion in the area for for people trying to keep keep the yeah, order, yeah. and comparing that, Kensington and Otherborough had just three um, parish constables for the whole area. Yeah. They were reportedly all meant to be rather uh, fond of drink as well, so they weren't overly effective. Yeah, I think it was a fifteen mile area, yeah. and they had three <laughs> three watchmen <laughs> to look after it. So yeah. you had like, this interesting thing: there was no centralised sort of yeah. police force as we know it. Yeah, yeah. There were in other areas um, police forces. So Peel had set up the Royal Irish Constabulary mm. um, when he was. Um, Chief Secretary of Ireland. Yeah. Um, he set that up in 1814. And then in 18, 1800, yeah. the city of Glasgow police had been founded on similar lines. Ah, uh, yes, sir. So like they, were, they were sort of, yeah, they yeah. were sort of, sort of tenuous steps towards a police yeah. force in Britain. And obviously the big one was Paris, which had its own police force. And they were kind of seen as... That's interesting. With envious eyes looked upon by yeah. people yeah. who actually thought a centralised police force was a good idea. Yeah. Do you want to give a bit more detail on this strange yeah. sort of, as we see it, strange sort of private... Uh, yeah, well, well absolutely, yeah. Enterprise of law keeping. Yeah, I mean, the, the justice system is. A, 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 I feel like the, the, the sort of the, the, the backdrop to all of this is, is that urbanisation is causing a slightly, a slight sort of crisis in the justice system. Mm-hmm. Um, because loads and loads of people who nobody knows are sort of coming into, a, into all these various neighbourhoods, it's very difficult for there to be sort of general trust. So crime is sort of increasing on the back of that. Because there's lo- you know because there are so many more people and uh, they don't really know each other. It's not like everybody in the neighbourhood knows who ne- who lives next door to them and all this kind of thing. And there's also no street lighting, at least till a lot later. Um, so that that creates a bit of another another sort of second problem, especially in major cities at night. Um, and um, so there's sort of a, it, it feels like a, for, for contemporaries it feels like a bit of a crime wave. And the justice system is the 18th century justice system, which obviously is inherent. It's sort of an hangover. Exactly, it's creaking at the seams. Yeah, it's around 60. So it's quite expensive for victims to bring prosecutions. 65 pounds per prosecution, which is more than most people's annual salary at the time. Mm-hmm. So there's not much prosecution going on. Um, so in order to and, and as a second point to this, uh, almost every crime is a capital crime. Like it's like yeah. 250 ish crimes punishable by death. Um, 
you know, just just down to down to stealing the most uh, almost inane of objects is now yeah. I think just to, to 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 prevent people from doing crime. Yeah. Basically, I think there's also it's a theory that this actually had the opposite effect and that it encouraged worse crimes because people thought, oh, I was going to steal something, yeah. but I'll get, I'll get hung for it, so I might as well yeah. beat kill someone up as well or kill someone at the same time. In the process, so yeah, there's, yeah. there's no kind of like sliding yeah. scale of you know, yeah. this is a worse crime than that crime. So yeah. it really had the opposite effect. That's, a, that's a good point. Actually, I hadn't yeah. thought about that. That's, that's, it's like yeah, you, you're you're already a criminal, so. You you might as well, you're already dead, yeah. so you might as well just carry on being yeah. um, being a criminal. But yeah, so uh, and so that that was a major problem, and there were, you know sort of creak, as you say it was creaking at the seams a bit, and um, and then obviously you had the Watchman, which you mentioned, and um, you also had um, a, a slightly more interesting area, which is private prosecution associations, which is a sort of a response to this crisis in state justice. They were kind of like uh, subscription based neighborhood watch schemes, um, and they would have. Um, uh, a pool of people who would be, I suppose, insured um, on the back of the scheme, and they would fund their own private detectives to investigate crimes. They would they would advertise for recovery of stolen goods and pay for prosecution and have a solicitor on retainer uh, for their members. Um, the uh, yeah they, they were relatively successful, and there were around four thousand of them, and they only died out sort of into the eighteen fifties, I think, because they were undercut by the Metropolitan Police and the Crown Prosecution Service, which mm. came in about the 1860s, 1870s. Um, and they weren't just for the rich, they were sort of uh, skilled and unskilled workers and lower middle class, upper working class kind of people who were all parts of these. They did have a significant downside though, and that is that they tended to be, as I said, insurance based. So it was like they couldn't, although some of them, like the Barnet Association, had patrols that were almost like private police, they're, they're, these patrols were almost like a there was sort of a freebie for mm. people in the area because as soon as people saw there was a patrol, they tended to stop. The, the crime went down, obviously. They tended to stop paying the subscriptions, yeah. which obviously meant that the patrol was now unviable, uh, and then crime would leap up again sort of, uh, immediately. So, so, they, were, so they, had, they had their own downsides. Um, but yeah, so, so I mean, we should probably move on to what, so what, what the motivation was for people. Yeah. I assume yeah, it's all to do with this sort of crisis of justice and this... Mm. Supposed crime. I think, I, there, I think there's. I think you touched on it with the with the industrialization element. Yeah. So I've got two element two points to put across on this. Yeah. One is the kind of like they both do with the changing nature of crime. Mm. Um, so, one in the in the sort of very early nineteenth century yeah. is that a new kind of crime was developing, and that was murder, basically. Like, um, <laughs> like it's right. a different type of murder. Yeah. So this is typified by the Ratcliffe Highway murders, which yeah. took place in eighteen eleven. Yeah. Um, in December eighteen eleven. And they start off with a family called the Ma family, which is father, mother, 14-year-old son, sorry, 14-month-old son, and a, yeah. a, um, an apprentice who was yeah. a young boy. Uh, their servant girl went out yeah. to get some oysters. She came back, the door was locked. Inexplicably, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right, she was turned out to get oysters yeah. and pay a bill. She came back, um, the door was locked, and she can get back in, so she started banging on the door. This yeah. alerted a night watchman who was passing. Right. And then they both started banging on the door, which woke a neighbour up, who then leapt over the wall at the back, went in, found the whole family bludgeoned to death and the baby's throat slit. Jesus. Uh, this obviously caught a huge outcry. There was yeah. you know, a, a, a mob assembled to try and hunt down the, the killer. They couldn't find him. Mm. Um, then 12 days later, another family was murdered in the, in the area. This time it was a, a local pub owner, his wife and a servant all in mm. their 60s, also killed again, bludgeoned to death. Um, again, a whole sort of swathe of different bodies got involved in trying to sort it out. Mm. So you had night watchmen, Bow Street Runners, obviously this was like a private yeah, yeah, detective yeah, agency yeah, got involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
you had the the Home Secretary appointed a, um, a magistrate to try and over, overlook the whole th- situation. Yeah. Um, and then you also had sort of mobs of people just roaming the streets trying to find them. Yeah. yeah. And Paris Watch got involved. River Police got involved. What happened? <laughs> they, every, all these different agencies got involved. They all kind of like trampled over each other trying yeah, to find yeah. the killer. They eventually found somebody they decided was the killer. Yeah. They, it was very tenuous evidence. He eventually killed himself in prison. Jeez. And so they decided to try and assuage the public fear, which was at crisis levels at this point, because this yeah. person is basically stalked around the city, killing two innocent families. Yeah. They decided he was the murderer and blamed it all on him. Yeah. Um, but what this kind of showed in one instance was the whole crime became sensationalized. It was the first sort yeah. of recording of, it, sort of, of a sort of respectable families being murdered in their own homes yeah. by someone who didn't take money, yeah. they didn't take anything, he just seemed to kill just them for, yeah, yeah. for for the thrill of killing them. Yeah, yeah. And this was something that, you know, that the response to it was woeful. They couldn't work out what to do. Yeah. There was no sort of um, reassurance. There was very little actual detective work. They wish to put rewards up and yeah. then just charge around looking at stuff, looking at people they didn't like yeah. and eventually found this guy yeah. who killed himself. Um, and so, yeah, this was quite a worrying the situation for people to be in. There was mm. talk of forming a police force at this point, but people basically voted it down in Parliament and yeah. didn't like it. Well, um, uh, people, people were extremely... I think the City of London is a case in point yes. here because they still resisted it even after 1829. But they they, 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 they resisted the uh, the implication that it would be... Uh, well, first of all, because it was a sort of a... They call it an invasion of privacy by the, by mm-hmm. the government again. Um, um, which which obviously that their, their own subscription services wouldn't, wouldn't be... Um, and also the fact that um, I think many people seemed to think that they weren't required. Yeah, they they they, they, they thought yeah. that, and they also were disliking the idea that they were copying a French idea in some in uh, some yeah. places because yeah. obviously Paris yeah. is the big example of it, and they didn't like yeah. that. So anyway, even though the murders created a sensation, the police force didn't get formed after that. Hmm. And the other element I wanted to point out was um, rioting and disorder yeah. um, during the time. So this was over a few instances. It kind of shown there was no real response. That could that the government could deploy without yeah. serious loss of life to quell disorder. Yeah. Um, so the Gordon riots took place in the 1780s in London, yeah. and this was anti-Catholic riots mm. um, by the population. Yeah. Eventually, after about a few days, the government authorized the army to go in and shoot any any shoot anyone who was in groups of over four people. <laughs> so they ended up killing 250 people, wounding 200 more, yeah. and arresting 450 more. It was, like, it was a bloodbath. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and this is kind of shown again and again. So you have. The uh, massacre of Trenant, which happened in Scotland. So mm. there, some dragoon, dragoons rode into protests and mm. killed about 20 of them. Mm. Peterloo Massacre, yeah, similar P- thing yeah. happened. I was mention, yeah, various yeah. riots in Bristol as well. So each of these instances, there's a, there's some sort of protest or or riot. And the only the only real thing the government can do is send the army in, which yeah. results in a lot of loss of life, a lot of unpopularity yeah. and bloodshed. So again, there needs to be a new situation yeah. to actually deal with this, which is, seems to be a relatively growing problem. Yeah. You know, mass uh, demonstrations yeah. can't just be met continued by the army. Yeah, you yeah. end up killing people. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, yeah. So I, I would also add another one to that is that yeah. the uh, the up the uh, Anglican classes, especially mm-hmm. the Ang- sorry the Anglican upper classes, especially were worried about moral disintegration among mm-hmm. their uh, among their well, I suppose their their subjects. I suppose yeah. um, they were sort of worried that the those existing inst- well not only this sort of more disorderly behaviour and rioting and so on. Uh, was they couldn't contain it without without murdering everybody. Yeah. Um, they were also worried that um, the existing justice system wasn't capable of keeping control of sort of moral values like gambling and um, uh, and uh, drunken and other disorderly behaviour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, because obviously, you know, I mean, the, the other institutions have almost no interest in. Mm. I mean, yeah, it's like they're interested in theft and murder, but. Um, 
yeah, the upper class is sort of more interested in this kind of moral, moral. Yeah. It's, it's sort of classic Victorian moral. It's it, like it, the, it the is, archetype of what we have. I, in I think Victorian is like, oh, this this sort of thing should yeah. be happening. In, in a way, I think the police force is actually a classic Victorian response mm. to, uh, a, a, to to this problem. It's like, it is uh, on the one hand, it's used to quell disorder, and also on the other hand, sort of to enforce a sort of moral elements to to the law, mm. uh, which they thought was lacking. Um, I don't know. What, I don't know. Did you did you want to add anything? Not to this element, no. Yeah, we I was going to say. I was going to say a couple more. Like, if you want. Okay, so, and so after these, you know, the bill went through Parliament. Eventually, there was some, as we said, the City of London didn't like it, and their member in yeah. was rather up against it. But yeah. after they told him we'll include him, he yeah. backed down, and it went through. Yeah. And it came. Funnily, funnily enough, actually, just just a quick comment mm-hmm. on that, which is which is intriguing because we noticed this as well, even into the Great Stink episode in episode ten. Mm something around the sewer system you know that they weren't going to be part of the london sewer system either it's interesting how the city of london seems to be this uh, sort of almost its own enclave within yeah. the city within the wider city of london so it's city state yeah it's um it's, it's, it's one of those instances i think they just have powers they jealously guard yeah, they, yeah. whatever they have of it yeah. to, to hold on to it yeah yeah and they, and they seem to be obviously you know presumably because they're quite wealthy yeah able to defend it as well mm. unlike all these other areas gone yeah so basically you have when the Metropolitan Police is put through, mm. its overriding sort of organisational structure is centralisation. Mm. So it does away with all these um, individual bodies that are yeah. in sometimes working against each other, sometimes yeah. working alongside each other. Oh, the, sorry, then, so we're going to say that all the council and the parish bodies. Yeah. And then the pri- I think as as and, and and the private bodies in a way eventually get because they grant because the, there's no point is yeah. there anymore I suppose yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah it's it's under one authority which is normally under the Home Secretary's authority and then operationally under Scotland Yard's authority which has two commissioners who run yeah. it um, and then they recruited around three thousand men to be part of it they roughly had to be twenty to twenty seven around five seven five foot seven which is good for me because I am that exact height so, <laughs> so I was I'm the archetype generally fit literate and they had had to have no criminal background yeah. Um, they they worked seven days a week and only allowed five days off a year, which yeah. are unpaid. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but I think you know, I think in terms of industrial revolution, uh, I mean, I know you're fighting crime and stuff, but I think that's quite good. You know, most of these most of these people are just like relentlessly working all the time, yeah. always in order to stay alive. So, yeah. but maybe that doesn't sound as bad then. I think it was probably now. normal then. But yeah, it's yeah, just like, yeah. It's, it's interesting. But yeah. interesting also, I think you can get a sense of already what they're aiming for, which is quite a professional outfit, which yeah. is young, they can read, they are not don't have any criminal connections, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. Then also, they're not allowed to vote and they have to give, they have, to have permission to That's actually share a meal with a civilian. So again, you're looking at, you know, which sounds bizarre to begin with, but also when you think about it, Sharing a meal with a civilian can just mean that. It could also mean bribery, that mm, type of thing, mm, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. going to be influenced in some way. So again, I think they're aiming yeah. for this, try and push out the corruption which they see yeah. within the system. They're going for impartiality, I suppose. Yeah, impartiality, or, exactly, or, yeah. or at least a, a, a firm a firm accountability to the Home Secretary. The, yeah. w- w- uh, did you want to... I mean, you're probably going to go on to it. No, There's a couple of other yeah. things. Yeah, but basically, they were all required to wear a blue uniform, which was inspired by the Royal Navy. Again, to get around the fact that the army were red, and yeah. sort of connotations with slaughtering people that they yeah, yeah. they had. Uh, importantly, again, they were unarmed. They just had a bat, a, a truncheon, and a, a, a rattle to summon aid. They Peel actually signed off fifty flintlock pistols to be used in exceptional circumstances. So that's mm. the limit they went to. It's like they don't even stop piling weapons just in case. They yeah. want fifty pistols if something kicks off, and that's yeah. the the element they go for. Again, looking at the sort of professionalism we just mentioned, it's interesting to say that around. 
2,200 of them were eventually fired or sacked because they didn't meet up to standards and right, were replaced right. with other people. By, by what by, like, in what period? In what time period? Just, uh, just generally? Or just, it's gen- it's gen- yeah, it's, okay. It was soon... Of that first yeah. 3,000 came in, only 600 Went continued to actually be employed. And they, the turnover was really high again because they were aiming for these very high standards. So the yeah. very first Metropolitan Police Officer was fired after four hours because he was drunk on duty. <laughs> um, and, so, and so, like, you, there were, again, very high standards put in place so you could be fired for being late, loitering on duty. Yeah, yeah. Um, you couldn't keep bad company. Mm. Um, you couldn't drink alcohol on, on duty, gamble. Um, you had to... You couldn't can, can fall asleep on the job either. Obviously, Yeah, the police actually, roughly, for each shift, they walked around 20 miles in mm. their in their patrols. And they were if they were spotted leaning or sitting, again, they're in trouble. <laughs> so, uh, again, get this image of, like, this is what they're aiming for, of yeah. a, a non-corrupt, very professional... Yeah. Um, Unified organization, and did you want to say something about these sort of principles? They operate yeah, I was going. I was just going to draw the distinction between. I mean, it, originally, if you look at it, it, it obviously the, the the chain of command is obviously pretty clear. It's supposed to be for the Home Secretary to be. Sorry, Scotland Yard yeah, by the Home Secretary to be in charge of this force. You know, the the impartiality that you're supposed to have towards citizens and so on means that you're not supposed to take any. Um, you know, gifts or bribes or <laughs> meals. Yeah, um, which obviously is a bigger deal back then than it is now, but. Um, it distinguishes dig, distinguishes them from the army uh, by the people are the police and the, the, pe- the people. Yeah, yeah. So they're supposed to be sort of drawn from the general population mm-hmm. of the area that they're supposed to be working in. So where, whereas you might send the army to, I don't know, Peterloo or whatever, but they'll be from somewhere else. They wouldn't know anyone. They might... Any tension would be almost sort of amplified because mm-hmm. they don't really know the people. Whereas the police, I think, are... Because they're supposed to be drawn from the local area, they're supposed to know the people who are there, they know the neighbourhoods. They are more likely to be able to play a mediating role in yeah. any disturbances. And I, think, I think that's the idea, at least. I think so, yeah. And also playing into this sort of element of trying to make sure that there's uh, more trust between the police and the public yeah. is they were they had to wear their uniforms whilst yeah. off duty as well, oh, really? um, so that there could be no suspicion they were spying on the local population. Yeah. So they yeah. could again be marked out. So again, it's trying to, again. Try and build that yeah. trust element between the two of them yeah. from the very first, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah, and then, and then, and, then, and uh, sorry, just on top of that, that's, that's a really interesting point because there was another one of the other nine principles is the one where they're saying you like good policing is not having a million police officers on the streets all the time suppressing you know, suppressing yeah. activity. It's you know maybe one guy every so often wandering around. And there just being a lack of crime. Yeah, that's yeah. It's almost like the invisible, like a, almost like a duck on top of a, a yeah. lake. So its legs are going furiously, but it looks. Yeah. you can't really tell peaceful, that from yeah, peaceful yeah. on the outside. So yeah, no, that's how you mark them being good because yeah. you know you don't see them breaking out crime, but you know it's being done because you are in a peaceful environment. Yeah, kind of thing. Indeed. So, uh, any sort of concluding comments? Well, I think we should, the important one actually to mention is the reaction yeah. of the public as well. Yeah, yeah So, yeah. like as we've touched on before, the yeah. public were very were deeply suspicious of this new. Force. I, I think so. I mean, they I, didn't I, like the idea at I, all. I don't. I don't know. I don't know how many like interesting stats you got mm. on this. But for, there was a commission by um, by by the man who actually uh, who actually commissioned the sewer system as well, Edwin Chadwick, the great reformer of the age, who seems to have existed almost as long as Gladstone, by the way. <laughs> but um, in eighteen forty two, and uh, like. Although his report found that, uh, you know, oh, there was obviously a need for the poli- you know, more policing and all this kind of stuff, um, uh, it was almost like cherry-picked. Mm. 80% of the submissions were actually, you know, this is kind of, this is, uh, we, we see this as sort of interference yeah. in our lives uh, rather than any help. Mm-hmm. Um, 
gone. Yeah, so they, they were, to begin with, they didn't like them at all. Yeah, so yeah. there was various nicknames that appeared for them. So particularly in the East End, they were called Crushers. <laughs> there were also Raw Lobsters, Blue Devils, Peel's Bloody Gang, which all sound a lot nicer than the, the Bobbies and Peelers nicknames that we remember now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there were reports of officers being assaulted, impaled, blinded. In one yeah. case, an officer was held down whilst a vehicle was driven over them. Jesus. Um, and then so one sort of like very telling case is the very first officer to be killed in the line of duty was a man called Joseph Grantham. Hmm. He died in June 1830, so that's almost exactly a year after yeah. the police act went through. Yeah, see, yeah. Um, and on at, when they came to trial, he was basically effectively trying to break up a fight between two drunks and he got beaten to death mm. because of it. When it came to trial, the jury found that he um, was actually justifiable, justifiable homicide and let his murder off. Um, wow. So that was a, a mark of how probably the police were at the time. Justifiable. So, so, so the they, police they, officer was the police officer was killed in the wrong. Is that what That's what they said. He was, yeah. he was trying to break up the fight and they said he was in the yeah. wrong. He killed him, but it's justifiable. So you're not going to prison. It's not murder. Yeah. And they let him off. Um, I think there is, I, you know, I mean, just, purely from a philosophical perspective, there is a sort of tendency for, if you've got a paid, <laughs> a paid group of people who are supposed to be, it's supposedly, you know, stopping crime, it might attract a certain type of person who might quite like the idea of fighting people. There I'm is, not sure. yeah, there yeah. is too, but also, as we've seen, yeah. they have very high standards. Yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously, so, I mean, yeah. yeah. Obviously, know, we weren't, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, but I think... Especially on that first, especially on that first, uh, that, 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 um, 18, you know, in that first death, basically. Yes. That first case. It's an interesting one. Yeah. But um, I think it just, and it took a while for them actually to bed in and actually mm. become popular, but I think it does, sh- does show that the fact that they were mirrored around the country yeah. um, does show eventually that actually the idea began to yeah. sink in slowly but surely. Um, and obviously I have now you know we wouldn't really most of us wouldn't contemplate yeah, uh, exactly the city without a police force yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we um, do, you, do you want to add anything extra no, 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 no. Do you, do you want to no. Yeah, the side blast against the police. <laughs> 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 the side fire. Um, no, not, not this time. I might actually cut that bit. Yeah. <laughs> Should yeah, we move on to the, move on to the, darkest, the yeah. darkest, darkest, darkest of them all? The sternest hour. In 1842, um, Peel reintroduced income tax. And everyone was furious. <laughs> not everybody, but... So, um, should we describe what, what I mean? Obviously, before this, we had quite a lot of, but we should probably give some context around this. Yeah, what so just you, also just quickly yeah. point in yeah. this was Peel's as we, second term of prime minister. He had a very short one before yeah, this. Yeah. This is his second term of prime minister, so he's coming in after successive Whig governments. Mm. Um, and income tax, although it's a sort of fixture in our lives now, mm. as we're about to, as Tim, I'm sure, is about to outline to you before Peel, really, mm. it wasn't a fixture. Like yeah, he, you know, it was for emergencies only. I think. Yeah, I mean they brought it, but William Pitt brought it in in the Napoleonic Wars. He did um, uh, to fund, yeah, you know, to fund fund military spending essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also at the same time as the gold standard. You know, the the, the gold payments were suspended from the Bank of England yeah. to uh, enable the government to pay its debts in terms of the war. In terms of the war. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Peel, when, what, uh, what was when, the emergency this time? Well, I was just going to give you yeah. a bit context on the Pitt. Um, oh, yeah, so, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah. so just to just outline when Pitts won, effectively it was a rate of two pence in the pound mm. for everyone who had an income over 60, two shillings in the pound for everyone over 200 pounds. Yeah. Um, and it didn't actually raise as much as he was hoping. It was only yeah. six million. He wanted 10 million. Um, in fairness, in that case, it's not I was hugely surprising. The rate was quite low. I mean, it, it, two, 2p in the pound nowadays obviously would be 2%. Because this is uh, yeah, this is pre-decimalisation. So uh, it's 240 pence in the pound. Mm. Uh, and this is probably is less than 1%. So you're keeping 238 of your pence in every pound. Indeed, yeah. yeah. So yeah, Peel, yeah. Uh, 1842, became Prime Minister. 
Uh, and he was kind of greeted with this situation that I think is probably reminiscent of when the coalition government came in charge, which is he turned up and there was virtually no money yeah. left for him because the Whigs successive had spent Whigs, it all. Yeah, Whigs had spent it all and they'd been running deficits in their budgets for yeah. since most of their budgets. Yeah. And he basically had this I had the kind of sort of big problem of what do we do basically. Yeah. The, the main issue is how to get more money into the government yeah. coffers yeah. so we can actually do something as a government rather than just exist. Yeah. Um and equally, he had, I think, one of your favourite. Well, um, well, I think, I think, I think, actually, in some ways, it was more like you know, uh, it was seen because obviously this is quite a religious period, and it's quite you know, quite sort of, sort of uh, I hate to say moral, but it's kind of like you know, conscientious period, I suppose. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, well, we the government can't be in debt, you know, this is, yeah. this is outrageous. Um, so it was like it was to, to exist. Yeah. Was was yeah. Um, yeah, he needed a way of balancing the books. And I think yeah. this is what he saw as a short-term measure of doing this. Yeah. And the other sort of side of the coin that we should probably mention at this point, relating back to the Corn Laws, yeah. um, is that he was very keen to abolish and um, abolish and sort of lessen the tariffs and duties that are on yeah. different products. So yeah. when he, in 1842, there were around 1,200 different goods with some kind of duty or tariff on them. Yeah. And in his in the around the same time that he introduced income tax, he cut or uh, took away 750 of those. Yeah, um, that's huge. Isn't it? So it's about what third, two thirds. Well, it's I mean, it, it's I, over half. Well, yeah, with the, with the <laughs> <laughs> classic. <maths. laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Uh, no, but, but I think the, well, the the general point is that uh, although obviously he, the national debt is quite high uh, for those times, at least um, the um, he's he's also trying to. Uh, he's also cutting the, in- the, you know, the government's income itself uh, yeah. at the same time. Um, so he's also trying to rebalance rebalance that. Mm. I think as we were talking, uh, we were talking earlier yeah. um, just before we came well when we came on out. I, I see this as kind of a the income tax as quite a short term stopgap measure. Yeah, to allow the tariff form to kick in. Yeah. So when Peel first put it in, he had it thinking of it would be there for around five years. Mm. And you know, obviously, if you take a tariff away or reduce it, it's not going to bring its sort of benefits overnight, so it's mm. going to need time to bed in. And I think what he saw the income income tax is doing is being that stopgap between the mm. removing them and them sort of paying dividends in more revenue. Yeah. Um, his sort of his. Um, I mean, I would say I would just point out. I mean, what 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 do they have other than tariffs and income tax? I feel you're going to tell us, Tim. Why don't you? Why yes, don't you I am. <laughs> well, I mean, we've got to remember that the uh, tariffs and income tax are obviously these, these are quite kind of well, they're not new things, but tariffs they're pretty obvious. Taxes on goods and it. Goods coming into the country, tax on goods coming out of the country. Income tax is taxation of income, which is extreme. Well, it's extremely controversial because it's quite intrusive. Uh, not, not that not the other taxes are not intrusive, but this is anybody who earns any any income ever. Sort of, the government takes a share of it. Whereas mm. previously, during the eighteenth and, ni- and the early nineteenth century, during the Napoleonic Wars, especially, the main pillars of the tax system were those things which are which, from my own perspective, I can see. The pattern here is so they're sort of obvious things. They're on windows, houses, and and uh, various malt taxes and uh, alcohol duties. I mean, the main. I think the, the main the main thing that I'm seeing here is that these are difficult things to hide from the tax man. Yeah, you can't hide a distillery. I mean, distilleries are quite big, uh, for example, and they're quite easy to collect the taxes from. And ten percent of taxes up to eighteen up to the eighteen forties were actually malt taxes. Um, and the same with windows and houses. Um, it's not. You sort of can't really hide them because yeah. they need to be. I think you have people um, bricking up their windows to avoid the yeah, tax. Yeah, the windows. Um, that's the classic situation. Window, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. I, funnily enough, I didn't realise that the window tax went on so late. No, I think yeah. the Whigs got rid of it sort of in the uh, 
I think possibly earlier than this, but 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 still, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that was the situation before. Yeah, um, and you know, Peel's, uh, as you said, Peel's income tax is meant to be, in his mind, an emergency yeah. short-term measure, and it's um, for every everyone in income over two hundred pounds, it was going to be seven pence in the pound. So again, it's looking at the the higher end of the earnings sort of spectrum. Mm-hmm. So the, the poor classes are. They're they're doing quite well at this because they're getting their their yeah. their, their, their goods cheaper yeah. um, because of the reduction in tariffs yeah. and also they're avoiding this tax which is good for them. Yeah, um, I, I would say as well the, the, the previous I mean the, uh, I mean I agree with you. Um, on the other hand as well there is also the fact that the, the windows and the how the, these other taxes also don't really I mean maybe the malt tax might affect them slightly. It'll probably raise the price in some way. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's interesting isn't it because this is. Um, None of these taxes are likely to affect poor. Mm. Anyway. I suppose it's yeah. probably because they literally don't have enough. Oh, exactly, to pay yeah, tax. exactly. Yeah. Um, I, um, yeah. Otherwise, they would just die. Yeah. <laughs> which the is, tax base would disappear. Which, which actually sort of brings me on to what I was saying just off air just now: is that as the government has uh, sort of increased its voter base, you know, the the, the the stakeholder base, so to speak, in the eighteen thirty mm. reform act, it is also now gradually increasing that sort of stakeholder base in terms of taxation. Mm. Like, you, you, pay, you know, what's the phrase? Um, no taxation without representation. It's almost like, oh, you know, these people are now represented. They ought to be paying in. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, which is a theory. It's a theory. It's, an, it's probably a viable one because you know, if you have a, if you can see you're having some sort of impact, and you're yeah. more likely to actually pay for it. Yeah, well, yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. And, but yeah, as we said, it was meant to be five year, yeah. five year time. Well, in his mind, time limited element. But he, as we know fell from office uh, just four years after this. So we'll never know for sure whether he would have got rid of it Indeed. or not. But um, I think he probably would have done it. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I'm, to think he probably would have done exactly. it. Exactly, yeah, he's firm on his principles. Yeah. Like, and he was he was against income taxes before he, he got into government. So, yeah, like, I, I mean, I remember reading that Wellington was, was vociferously sort of anti, but then in the 1830s it was becoming mm. more and more of a... Yeah. Momentum was building around this... The Overton window was shifting. Indeed, <laughs> yeah, rapidly. Yeah. So. But I think he was, I think he was, as we said, he's a sort of, the, he is a bit of a realist, so he would have... Feels like a hard fork to the left. <laughs> but I think you know, once if he saw these you know, duties kicking in, yeah, I think he would have been in a position to potentially yeah. remove income tax. But we'll never know. it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a potential theory. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, if we think back to um, Cobden's Valley episode, mm. <laughs> that's very good. So, Dan has just put in front of me King Henry VIII had a, <laughs> uh, a beer tax on beards, <laughs> which was uh, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. What, what the it was deal a sliding was. scale, both in social class, taxing every beard of more than two weeks' growth. Yeah, well, that was Elizabeth sure. the first. Yeah. Elizabeth the first. Okay, so right, she, okay. she changed it slightly. Yeah, two so weeks' she growth. Obviously, she obviously had a different different yeah. uh, priorities. Well, she didn't have one, so on like Henry VIII. Yeah, yeah, well, quite. Yeah, different priorities in terms of taste, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, what was the what was the other thing there? It was like. Uh, Pauline Force. Yeah, Pauline Force. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, surprising. Anyway, um, what were we saying? Something about um, something sense. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, some, something, yeah, something nonsensical. Um, Cobden Chevalier. Obviously, the concern around the um, Gladstone had or Palmerston had was that uh, the government had too much money. So oh, yeah. it was obviously still enforced yeah, yeah. by this <laughs> point, um, and and accumulated a vast surplus. So we could do something. With um, so I guess uh, so. I guess that's how that ended up. But they didn't didn't repeal it. Ever, yeah, still in place now. Indeed. Although, as we were saying off air, um, slightly higher now. <laughs> it's slightly higher, yeah. and uh, also it's it's always renewed every year rather than being a yeah. being being a permanent permanent thing. fixture. Yeah. You technically have to renew each year in the finance act. That's funny. Which is quite amusing. It's one yeah. of the weird things of Parliament. That, Quirk yeah. of Parliament, all the devious things of Parliament. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, Although the right wrecking amendment could just take it out. Yeah, right? indeed. <laughs> um, I hope so at some point. Anyway, yeah. So I was going to say, um, in 1816, when they originally repealed the original uh, income tax that was put in place during the Napoleonic Wars, 
the concern, you know, one of the, you know, the main concerns were coming, funnily enough, from the city of London. Um, uh, well, you know, the um, furious response that the uh, the income tax was essentially an invasion, in, invasion, invasion of privacy and an interference in people's personal affairs, which was mm. basically unprecedented at this time. Um, it was part of the uh, part of the repeal process in eighteen sixteen, probably probably similarly in eighteen forty two. But yeah, should we move on to our, yeah, I think our we final move segment, the final package yeah. of, of of just appeal. furious appeal? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean we haven't really we haven't really talked about appeal very much in this episode. Have we? Well, I think we, we, yeah, it's we, more we talked like about the perspective. Yeah, so I mean, I think that like we we you've got your most of the introduction into appeal the man the last episode, yeah. so it kind of leaves us a bit more time to speak about mm. what he actually did rather than yeah. you know what he was doing at the time, yeah. like what he was having for lunch kind of thing. Playing the game. Which I imagine yeah. was quite a lot of port if Pitt the Younger was anything to go by. Really? <laughs> he, was a th- he was a three bottle a day man. Well, Pitt? Yeah, which yeah. I Pitt, which I feel is why he may have died young. Okay, yeah. <laughs> at least a large Sounds part. Fair. Is that why he was called Pitt the Younger? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Nothing to do with Pitt the Elder. Pitt the Drunk. Pitt the Drunk. Um, yeah, so... Um, go on then, sorry, what, what was the subject of this segment? This, this segment, the final bit, the final instalment of our... You know, trip through Peel Land yeah. um, was is the Coercion Act or mm. Coercion Acts that we should say, and yeah. these were a series of bills and legislation that went yeah. through Parliament before, during, and after Peel's time. Yeah. So as we both found, sort of independently, yeah. um, is that between eighteen oh one and in nineteen twenty one, so just over a hundred years. Uh, 105 of these coercion acts relating to <laughs> Ireland were passed. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I just to point out that from from this from this information, I wasn't sure precisely what the what made an act a coercion act? Because mm. it's not like they were called. I think yeah, this is, this is obviously a name. It's like the bedroom tax. This is a name yeah. given to it by its enemies. Um, mm. So they had their names. They were nice, nice, fluffy names like the Protection of Person Property Act. Yeah, and the um, sort of local disturbances mm. brackets etc. Act. Ominous um, brackets. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I don't really know what I mean. But I think yeah, that one kind of sums it up in that they are bills that will be used against public dis- discontent or disorder, and yeah. they're a way of sort of uh, trying to keep. Population down under or keep yeah, under control, yeah. keep the government sort of firmly the whip hand in the government. Yeah, and I think actually reflecting Peel's general, um, apparently general priorities, which we've seen throughout this period, uh, of protecting institutions. Yeah, um, giving and holding. Yeah, making sure that the, the sort of like re- revolutionary spirit doesn't bubble over yeah. into actual yeah. revolution. Yeah, you know, keeping them one step ahead of yeah war and violence. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah but. So do you want to give a little bit of background into Ireland itself? We did talk a little bit about it in the last episode, yeah. but I think it would be useful to actually talk about... It's important to these, yeah, what talk going about because Because these are all... I don't know if we've mentioned this, but basically all these coercion bills apply to Ireland specifically. Yeah. Which is kind of, I think this is also reflective of a wider growing imperialist idea whereby yeah. the, the mother country... It's completely different knows laws. Well, yeah, exactly, and, and has a completely different law. You know, liberty's great at home, but yeah, <laughs> next door. But there's yeah, Catholic Irish. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Ireland, um, uh, there was an uprising during the Napoleonic Wars, which really concerned, obviously, the British establishment uh, and the government during that period in Ireland, yeah. and they were seen as sort of allied with France, unreliable. Yeah. It was almost like the the sort of the the alliance between Scotland and France shifted around to France and Ireland exactly, after yeah. Scotland became more happy with actually being part yeah. of Britain. Yeah, I suppose. They, yeah. they saw, <laughs> yeah, they saw the they saw the money coming in, and yeah, the prestige, yeah. and then they're like, ah, okay, I can see why this is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and guess, then Ireland's like, no, yeah, exactly. Oh, well, I'm going to be in with this. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Anyway, yeah. So um, definitely, exactly, almost certainly. And um, so, so the the Wolf Tone Rebellion, I think. They yeah, there was Wolf Tone Rebellion. But, but regardless, um, although ironically, he was not a wolf himself; he was a man. Was he? Yeah, the shocking fact it was not a wolf who led the wolf to him about. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so that rebellion set the tone 
<laughs> so to speak, for the rest of the period. Um, so the Ireland had its own parliament at the time, although, although slightly uh, I think it's hard to. Uh, it wasn't an you know we can't really declare it an independent institution. I don't think it's more of a, a sort of a. Uh, um, I don't want to say poodle parliament, but it's sort of like you know sponsored by the. It was very easy for the for the act of union in mm. the Irish Parliament to be passed. To put it that way, uh, people were paid off with titles and money and so on. Uh, so Ireland, Irish Parliament voted itself into the act of union with the United Kingdom in uh, in the eighteen hundred. Uh, the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah, and, and also, sorry, and I know we mentioned about bribes and corruption and all that kind of stuff, but there was also um, a promise in there from William Pitt that, well, maybe not explicitly from him personally, but the implication that Catholic emancipation would be part of the Act of Union package deal. Cast iron guarantee. Yeah, well, obviously at the last minute the king said, nope, and um, the Act of Union went through. And Catholic emancipation was just left, uh, which was you know, this, 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 yeah, exactly. And this, this sort of ensured that the Catholics voted for it. Yeah. Uh, well, Catholic um, naysayers voted for it. Anyway, so, so in that respect, Ireland became part of Great Britain. Yeah. Um, and then, with Catholics obviously barred from standing for, I mean, they could, most yeah. of them could vote. I mean, some of them could vote in the sense that if they own property, forty shilling. Uh, freeholders could could vote, um, but they couldn't stand for office and they mm. couldn't hold any political. Yeah. It's like what we ran through in the last episode. With exactly. Yeah. Emancipation. They've got. They're in Britain, but they're a second yeah. a second class to the Protestant Anglicans. Really, yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. Um, so this this doesn't really sit well, and there are also a series of um, co- quite complex um, laws in place, which seem to have prevented Ireland from advancing in the same way mm. England and Scotland have in terms of the Industrial Revolution. There's still agrarian society, even in yes. 1845, obviously, the Irish famine, is is a mark of how still agrarian their society is. So it's kind of terrible. I don't really... I mean, maybe we'll go into this in another episode, but the, the situation is fucking awful, basically. It really is awful. Um, you know, there's like... And there's all this kind of conversation about land, and there's not enough land, and there's loads of people, and there's not... You know, there's too much... Too much too many people and not enough land, which mm. obviously is the classic Malthusian situation, which the Industrial Revolution solved in Scotland and in Scotland and uh, England. Um, but yeah, so so the so the government obviously tried to keep this under control, this sort of revolution, this grumbling fervor under control mm. using various coercion measures. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and so but you know they, they this issue that they obviously they were very unpopular measures, and they kind of just grew into this narrative of. British are keeping us down, kind yeah. of thing. You know, we need our own voice. We need our own. Yeah. We need Home Rule again, kind yeah. of thing. And as we've said, and the me- repeal of the Act, of and the repeal of the Act of Union. And obviously, as we as we <clears throat> met a man we mentioned in the last episode, Daniel O'Connell, yeah. was a was a kind of a figurehead throughout this yeah. period. Uh, we mentioned in the last episode the man who basically bro- who caused the the emancipation mm. by standing and winning his seat, and then yeah. Yeah. as we went into, they had to repeal it so he could actually sit in Parliament. Yeah. Um, and he, this wasn't really enough for him because he saw that as a sort of stepping stone to Home Rule yeah. and and to an end of the Act of Union. Yeah. And so he, throughout this period, he was going around campaigning about getting rid of it and things, but also growing up behind him almost was this more radical yeah. sect yeah. of of Irish nationalism, which was the Young Islander. Yeah, um, I think this group. this also uh, blends in with in nationalism generally across Europe. Yes, it does. Yeah, obviously we have got the Young Italy movement. Mm. Well, that's who they were based yeah. on, I think, wasn't it? They yeah. they saw the Italians yeah. agitating for their own state, yeah. and then they wanted their own state, which is quite interesting. There was, yeah. There's a difference between the Irishman sort of strand that O'Connell was pushing, and then yeah. the actual state of Ireland, which yeah. the Young Islands were pushing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this all came to a kind of a. Yeah, this growing discontent came to a head as we get towards the end of Peel's 
yeah. political life um, in that these monster rallies that we were talking about beforehand, O'Connor yeah. saw them as a, as a kind of like a, a necessary thing to happen because he yeah. basically needed money. So yeah. he was losing yeah. money because people weren't sending money to yeah, his yeah, yeah. Catholic organisations. And so yeah. he used to them as like a revenue raiser. Yeah. He tried to organise a huge... Well, so I think there was like, you know, there's, there's some new radicals on the block. So it's kind exactly, of like yeah. The, so yeah, yeah. The, the young islands in there. And, 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 and I think, I mean, I don't, I don't, you're probably going to say this, but he, he also... Uh, refused to uh, to consider violent revolution as a means of uprising. Yes, which, which obviously uh, for the young kids was 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 well, they they saw that as what is this going on? Mm. Like, yeah, it's that classic thing in revolution yeah. like revolutionary movements as they yeah. you know, the younger generation see the more radical approach as the necessary one mm. if the older ones aren't in their view getting anywhere. So yeah, yeah, yeah. the islands had created the Nation uh, newspaper, which was very yeah. vociferously anti-British and mm. made it quite difficult for the. British in return to start conciliating because they were being yeah. attacked and the British in the, the rhetoric just built up and built up. Yeah. Um, O'Connell was eventually actually arrested um, yeah. after trying to um, organise a huge meeting at Contraf. Yeah. Um, 1943, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, although he was eventually, it was quashed his yeah. conviction, but that would kind of broke his kind of yeah. leadership, didn't it? And sort of yeah. let the Young Islanders in yeah. Yeah. as the main voice. Which obviously, uh, you know, in, in terms of, um, I, although Peel and O'Connell hate each other, they were kind of right, for, they were sort of I mean, mm. O'Connell was, was the best of the bad. He was, the yeah. best of the bad, by the sounds of it. Yeah, because he wasn't actually going to try yeah. and kill people, yeah. like, or yeah. kill British yeah. subjects. Yeah. Um, and so kind of like on the other side of this, you've obviously got Peel and the government tr- looking kind of nervously at Ireland, trying to figure out what to do about it. So obviously yeah. we've heard the coercion bills yeah. coming through. And then the situation kind of goes supernova in some ways by the <laughs> fact that, that um, the potato famine happens. Yeah, and yeah. so this is 1845, it starts blowing up mm. massively, 1846. Um, and sort of Peel puts through what would now be called a package of measures really yeah. to start dealing with the Irish nationalism and the Irish problem. Mm. Um, one of which is the Irish obviously, question. The Irish question, yeah, yeah, indeed. One of which is obviously the coercion that we've heard about. Yeah. He also passes an arms act which tightens restrictions on the trafficking of Irish weapons mm-hmm. to try and clamp down on it. To the delight of Wellington, yeah. he starts increasing uh, recruitment to the army and funding for that <laughs> and sends more troops out to Ireland yeah. so kind of, that's the, that kind of like he also makes clear that he's not going to repeal the Act of Union yeah. and says like, I'm, I'm, I will meet any sort of rebellion with force and so that's kind of like yeah. the character the, sorry, the stick approach yeah. and also he puts through various other measures or like takes other steps which are more conciliatory yeah, so he yeah. tells the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland give as much patronage as you can to the Catholics yeah, so you actually yeah, try yeah. and raise them up and again almost like going back to your stakeholder yeah. point like try and make them try more and get of them a, involved yeah, 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 try yeah, yeah. make them more of a a stake, and then he also passes what's called the Charitable Bequests, Bequests and Donations Act, mm. which is a bill which allows Catholics to leave money to the Catholic Church in their wills. Uh-huh. Yeah. So this act, this gives the Catholic Church more of an infusion. Was that illegal before? It was illegal before mm-hmm. they couldn't do it. Again, I think it was linked in to try and yeah. keeping the Catholic faith down. There, there, there does seem to be some kind of. I mean, sorry, just generally, okay. I don't want to interrupt you because it's a really good one, but a really good bit. But um, there seems to be some kind of problem with with. Uh, capital saving somehow in in Ireland, but even when people are able to accumulate some wealth, mm. they don't seem to be able to, to keep it. it. Yeah. yeah, somehow. I'm not really sure why that would be. Mm. I think there's some kind of there's obviously some some. There's, yeah, it's, but yeah, it's bizarre. But he also instituted a commission to basically look into this issue of, as I mentioned before, what on earth is going on in rural Ireland and mm. how are they mm. lagging so far behind? And yeah. they brought through a few different um, sort of recommendations. They came just too late because they came basically as the potato famine hit so yeah. nothing could really be done about it. He did try and put through a bill which would have, if it passed, would have um, basically recompensed any tenants for mm. improvements they made to the land. Yeah. So giving them the idea that 
if you make improvements or steps forward, then it will be actually recognised and hopefully encourage people to make more yeah, you yeah. Know, strides on with they improve their methods of farming or, yeah, or yeah. how well the land goes. But that was yeah. voted down by the Tories and the Lords. Yeah. That didn't work. And then two other things he tried to do at the same time was he tried to basically um, eradicate the sectarianism by yeah. introducing new secular colleges um, in Ireland. So he put one in Galway, Belfast and Cork and these are known as the Queen's Colleges. Yeah. So the Gaul- everyone basically, it did eradicate bound, like um, differences in that they, everyone hated them. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. the Catholics called them godless colleges and yeah. the Anglicans thought they were a betrayal and the ones yeah. in Galway and Cork failed, but Belfast is still there. So yeah, Queen's yeah, College yeah, Belfast, yeah. that's where that came from. That's fascinating, yeah. actually. Uh, I, sorry, just quick, quick, quick aside. Mm. We work. We had a we had a quick project with Northern Ireland um, investment arm, and um, one of the one of the stakeholders was Queen's College oh, really? um, Belfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's where it came from. It's yeah, peel. Yeah. It's all peel. Yeah. And then finally, um, an issue that basically incensed his backbenchers more than anything else, seemingly, was the what's called the Maynooth Grant, mm. um, which. Effectively, there was a seminary in mm. in Ireland, which was the government gave money to to basically help train Catholic priests yeah. and help it help the Catholic faith continue. He um, increased the grant annual grant to twenty six thousand pounds and gave them an extra thirty thousand pounds for repairs. This like ignited ignited furore yeah. in, in in his backbenches yeah. because like, how can you do this kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. Gladstone resigned, even though he voted. <laughs> Gladstone classically like, voted for it and then decided he couldn't continue yeah. in government because. Well, funnily enough, I think Gladstone is one of those people who who was a major, major sort of radical when he was younger. And then mm. when he was in government when he was older, he sort of mellowed a bit and realised... Because you know, I think um, Gladstone actually was, was one of the guys who attempted to dis- disestablish the Church, of, Church yeah. of Ireland, which was an Anglican church, obviously, mm. at the time. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, basically, he, yeah. he, was, he, was, he, was, he resigned because he had written a book, basically, on this thing about the relationship between the church and state. And said he couldn't continue in it anymore, um, even though no one had basically no one had read the book. Basically, but yeah, he decided yeah. but he couldn't do it. Um, Peel accepted resignation, but he said um, sometimes I really have great difficulty in compre- comprehending exactly what he means. Um, <laughs> so Gladstone, one hundred and forty nine of the Tories rebelled over this. So I thought you were going to say Gladstone was one hundred and forty nine. Yeah, to be fair, he looks as old as time. Yeah, well, well, he, he must have been by the time yeah. he died. But yeah, but so this is like that's the carrot approach. Yeah. So you, know, you can we, as well as the coercion bills that he's putting through, he's trying to put through yeah. some other. Other elements stuff, as yeah. well to try and solve it in some way. Yeah, I think yeah, you know it just yeah. nothing's working. I think in many ways because yeah. of the potato famine is the main big issue. That's well, it's the emergency, which is it's sort of almost yeah. too late. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, the fire's broken out, the horse yeah. has bolted, kind yeah. of thing. I was going to just um, focus in on a couple of points yep. that were in some of these coercion. Well, most of these coercion bills, and, and obviously in this one as mm-hmm. well, by looking at the eighteen thirty three coercion bill, local disturbances, etc. Act, oh. which um, which what 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 does a, what is a coercion bill basically? It's almost like a <laughs> Historian's Guide to Coercion Bills. Um, so, or Idiot's Guide potentially. Um, obviously, so it, it banned it banned a numerous things like uh, assembly in illegal assemblies in groups and uh, and uh, suspended trial by jury, um, replaced it with a court martial, military yeah. judge basically. So pretty severe, and there was yeah. like pretty severe because um, most of these most of the lords who were discussing this in the debates were saying about how. They considered the considered Irish, even you know, even though they were Catholics, as citizens of the UK. It was yeah. like you know, a Britain rather, and it was it was just, it's just you, you can't just suspend your constitution yeah. like this, basically. Um, and um, obviously, the the uh, the justification was that juries in Ireland were so um, threatened by the violence that was going on that this was it was necessary to have a, a you know a military style. Yeah. Um, 
judgment system instead. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's all, it's all pretty severe and pretty, 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 pretty big for, for what it means for Ireland. And I think also it's just the coercion bills themselves to reinforce that narrative of Irish citizens being citizens of Britain, but also being second class yeah, citizens yeah, of Britain. Yeah. Catholic Irish aren't, aren't seen as, as sort of valuable or as yeah. good as the, as the Anglican and Protestant yeah. Yeah. Um, side, which I think, you know, inevitably, if you've got a side that's feeling like it's being pressed down, they're not going to want to make considerations of their yeah, own to yeah. actually, you know, fix the situation because yeah. you know, they've been completely repressed. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so um, so to conclude, should we, we should we should probably mention the, the fall of Peel. Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's quite cinematic in a way because yeah. on the same night, I think we mentioned in the last episode, the same night that his his repeal of the Corn Laws is voted through by old friend Wellington in, mm. in the House of Lords, they, a, new, a new coercion bill, another one, comes to the House of Commons. And kind of basically this is where all his enemies align against him and yeah. they finally catch up with him. So he's got the Irish MPs obviously against it. Mm. You've got the Whigs and the Radicals who dislike him for his measures mm. against it. And then also all these Tories who he's, he's, he's really angered about repealing the Corn Laws yeah. side with his opponents and vote the bill down. Mm. And so this obviously precipitates his fall because he's, he's lost a vote in Parliament. Yeah. You know, he's shown to be weak and yeah. he resigns a few days later because of it. So it's kind of like the final coup de grace on, yeah. on Peel is through an amalgamation of one of Tim's good elements, the Repeal the Corn Laws, <laughs> yeah. or one of Tim's bad elements, yeah. the coercion bills come together. Fight back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, he he left Parliament, left, left politics really, mm. and... Um, just four years later, he died. He was thrown off his horse. And four the, years? Yeah, well, he was riding his horse um, on Constitution yeah. Hill, roughly near Parliament. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and he, his horse um, panicked. He threw off this, he was thrown off the horse, yeah. collapsed, and the horse trampled him. Oh, and wow. he died Died a bit later. That's horrific. Yeah. Because he was, cause it was, he was like, relatively young for, yeah, yeah. like, you know, Gladstone has already went on for years, Wellington went on for yeah. years. I mean, he probably had another, probably maybe had a comeback in him if, yeah. you know, if he had survived, but the yeah. horse... Obviously, took measures. You know, Irish horse. When, when did he die? Sorry, uh, 18, 18, July eighteen fifty. So okay. almost exactly four years after. Interesting. So he did see the year of revolutions in eighteen forty eight. Maybe that's a, another episode. Another episode. Peel in the Iron Duke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that was a Because that was, um, yeah, that was a classic period. Yeah, that was sort of what he'd been worried about the entire time. Mm. I assume. Um, but yeah, should we, should we sort of um, wrap it up? Wrap it up and. Uh, well, yeah, I think it, I think it's quite interesting. Interesting. Again, it just reinforces the fact that Peel was a man who dealt, who tried to deal with the big issues. Yeah. You know, so again, you know, we've got three massive issues in terms of trying to solve government finances and the yeah. income tax, trying to restore some law and order in yeah. policing, and then do something about the you know this running sore that is Ireland mm. throughout it. And again, we show that you know he was not entirely successful in everything he did, but yeah. he gave it a good, you know, natural good try. Of different measures, thinking new measures, and you know he actually did something. I think is yeah. the main the main takeaway from Peel that you know, he was yeah. a man reflected the times. There was a revolutionary changes that were yeah. happening in industry and society. It was yeah. also political, almost revolutionary as well, yeah. in that he was doing something to try and push new new ideas. Yeah, yeah. change. I think he was also uh, you know as we mentioned as well, he was he was trying to sort of include more people in the running the mm. running of the country, both with with their, with with uh, having a say, and also well, not that he passed the Great Reform Bill, but but still. Um, and also in having them be rep- yeah, represented and taxed tax as part of as stakeholders in the country, I suppose. Yeah, um, and and protecting the institutions. Was yes, as, uh, classic. Yeah. Also, and making new yeah. ones in the police. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, and um, so that I think uh, ends our appeal mini series. Yeah. What can we look for now? To the next? Yeah. <laughs> But also, don't, don't worry, we've got another series coming up pretty soon, mm. which is going to be a big series. A massive, massive series. series. It's going to be on 1848, which I mentioned yeah. about the, the year of revolutions, Europe's year of barricades, yeah. kind of thing. So look out for that. We're going to go through a few different countries. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Footnotes of History. For more episodes, visit footnotesofhistory.com. And while you're there, why not sign up to become a historical legionnaire, where you have access to our blog, one-page cheat sheet downloads, film and book reviews, and up-to-the-minute updates on every episode release. Thanks for listening.